Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. knew and he understood that strength was going to be found whenever two walk in unity. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So when we are walking in unity with the Lord as our focus, as that outer band about what we are doing, beloved, there is great strength in that. He continually encouraged the church to walk in the unity of the Spirit and with their hearts and their minds focused together on the things of Christ and on the things of his kingdom. As we do that, we then, as he tells the church in Corinth, then we're able to live in peace. As the study of 2 Corinthians comes to a close, Pastor David teaches about what mattered most to the Apostle Paul. Although Paul was the founder of the Corinthian church and spent over a year teaching and training them, divisions arose and Paul was being criticized. While Paul wanted to clear up the disputes among them, he pushed most of all for their unity and maturity of faith in Jesus Christ. This should also be the goal of our faith today, lest we be distracted from what matters most. Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message, Joins Together in One Mind. So as I was hammering a piece of this siding on the new siding on the wall outside, I heard a crash on the inside. What did I do? What did I do? Number one, I forgot to take anything off the wall that I was going to be hammering on. So I walked inside, and sure enough, a little plaque had fallen down, and a little wooden cross that we had. It's a, uh, the, the inside had been uh, cut out, hollowed, and then just the cross. It wasn't very big. We'd had it for years, and it had fallen. Well, that wasn't the first time that that cross had fallen nor was it the first time that cross had been broken. So it broke into several pieces. And so, hey, not a problem. I've got wood glue. I've got rubber bands. I can fix this thing. No problem. Well, I went through. I was actually able to caratizzo those pieces, to join them back correct together. What was broken, what was divided, is now restored, and it's more or less perfectly joined back together. Okay, maybe not as well as it could and should be, but it is joined together. That's that's the idea. That's the meaning that Paul has. Guys, you are so separated as a church. You're divided over here. You're divided over there. Remember, one of the problems, man, we follow Apollos, we follow Paul, we follow Simon. They're all over the place. The struggles that they had in their worship services that we looked in 1 Corinthians and Chapter 14, man, people go into your worship services, they don't know what's going on because, again, the misuse of the gifts. Husbands not treating their wives correctly, wives not treating their husbands or honoring them, or employers mistreating their employees and employees cheating their employers. And these are Christian men and women throughout all of this. And then we get into these other areas of, again, just out and out sin in the flesh and the, the fleshly desires of this church. This church was a mess. 
Paul says, man, I pray that you guys would get catartizo, joined back together, fit, fit rightly together, that you may be made complete. Well, personally, I feel that this is probably even a multi-sided desire for Paul for that church. I do pray that, yeah, them as a church, that they'd be complete, but I believe first thing, that they'd be rejoined and restored in their fellowship with the Lord. Because I'm going to tell you, church, if we're not walking correctly on the horizontal plane, guess what? We're not going to be walking correctly on the vertical plane. That's in every area of our lives. If I'm not treating my fellow man correctly, I'm not pleasing God. If I, as a husband, uh, not treating my wife correctly, God's not going to be pleased. As a matter of fact, the, the Word tells me, husbands, if you're mistreating your wife, your prayers aren't being answered. So yeah, it makes a difference how we live our lives in this horizontal plane. He wants them to be rejoined, restored with fellowship to the Lord because they've probably been doing church for a long time in the strength of the flesh. You know, you just kind of get into the routine. You just kind of keep doing the same thing and, and you got you got a great meeting time, but no lives are really being impacted. God save us from that kind of consistency of meeting where we just get used to coming together and no lives are impacted. I believe also that he's praying that they might be rejoined and restored in fellowship with the apostle himself. Remember, they had almost gotten to the point and said, you're not even an apostle. You don't have any authority here. Paul says, I was the one that birthed you guys. I was the one that came to Corinth and began sharing. Remember, I was there for 18 months forming the church. I've written you letters, man. I've sent people to you to encourage you and to strengthen you. But yet, they had gotten too mature for the Apostle Paul in their own minds. Paul wanted to be restored back to them. He, he didn't want to be divided. Can you imagine somebody with that kind of a heart, with all that that's coming against them, and yet Paul loved them? Whenever I think of that kind of a heart, yeah, I think of the heart of the Heavenly Father. I, I know that. But the heart that I think of is a mom. You know, when the boy goes bad, the mom keeps loving. You ever experience that? Yeah. I don't understand my mom, why she kept loving my brothers the way she did. I don't know. But, uh, no, there, there were a few times in my life, too. But really and truly, that, that love that makes no sense. But it's a God kind of love. Because it doesn't expect anything in return. It loves. Because love is the right thing to do. And that's what Paul had for the church there in Corinth. And yeah, thirdly, that they might be rejoined or restored in fellowship with each other that they wouldn't have any more cliques, that they wouldn't have no, any more divisions, that they wouldn't have all, all these strives, uh, strivings among themselves. But they would look and see, man, the importance of a brother here and a brother there, that there's no higher standard or, or lower standard, that we are all on the same plane, at the same level at the foot of the cross. None of us are greater, none of us are lower, but we are one in Christ. And even as he tells the church, man, Every, every every joint and every part of it has a purpose within the body. We might look and say, well, I don't need that part of the body anymore, or this part of the body is not important. But believe me, all of it's been given there for a purpose. And the same thing within the body of Christ. What each part supplies to the body is of utmost importance. When you believe that you're not important to the body that you are in, that you are worshiping with, beloved, you are believing a lie of the enemy. 
God has brought you to a particular body, to a particular fellowship, in order that not only you would be fed, but that you might have something to put toward that ministry. Because God has gifted all of us in different ways. And so, you know, it comes out, where are you serving? Where are you being used within the body of Christ? Or are you just simply a a Klingon, okay? You're just clinging on, okay? And are are you really and truly a part of the body? Within the part of the body, within uh, the church in Corinth, I believe that there, there were those that said, I'm here in order that you might serve me. And beloved, that's not the heart of a believer. The heart of a believer, we come together as the body of Christ and say, where can I serve? Where can I be a part? That other attitude is uh, an attitude of hierarchy and divisions. and It's no good thing. Paul goes on to tell him there in chapter 13, verse 10, he says, therefore, I write these things being absent. That's being presence. I, I, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification, but not for destruction. Paul says, I have authority. God has given me the authority, but I'm not going to, I don't want to go in there with, with guns blazing. I don't, I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to be the, the bad cop. I, I want to come in and I want to be a part of the fellowship. I want to encourage you. He's working toward that canartizo, that, that resurrection, or that restoration, that coming together at every level. Warren Wiersbe reminds us in, in reference to this, he says, the balanced Christian growth and ministry is absolutely impossible in isolation. Someone has said that you can no more raise one Christian than you can raise one bee. Christians belong to each other. They need each other. A baby must grow up in a loving family if it's to be balanced and normal. The emphasis today on individual Christian as apart from his place in the local assembly is wrong and it's very dangerous. We are sheep and we must flock together. We're members of the same body and we must minister to one another. Paul expressed that thought. He uses that same word, that karatizo, in his final farewell. Look at verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become karatizo. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. He says, become complete, become joined together, become karatizo. Paul saw the church, as I shared. They were divided internally with all of their bickering, all of their cliques. They were divided spiritually. They could not have been in true fellowship with the Lord Jesus, with all that was going on in in the horizontal plane. They were divided in their allegiance following so many false teachers, so many false prophets, and they rejected the one man that had established them in truth, the one who was the apostle that, again, had the authority, that had the calling of God in his life. And then he tells them to be of one mind. This whole idea of one mind or, or the mind, that seems to be a pretty common thread that you find all through Paul's writing. Let me read you just a few of these. And again, you can write them down. I'm going to go fairly fast through them. But this whole idea that as the body of Christ, you and I together, hey, look, I I understand. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different understandings. We come from 
different even political persuasions. We might come from different experiences. All of these things. But yet in Christ, the church is called to be one mind. One mind. Listen to what he tells the Romans. Romans 12, verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I, I can't be conformed to this party or that party or this background or that background. I've got to be conformed and renewed the mind of Christ. Still in Romans 12, verse 16, he tells the church, be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own opinion. In Romans 15, he says in verse 5, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it wasn't just Corinth that had a problem with divisions within the church. That's not just a modern phenomena that we have of divisions and, and church splits. Whenever man gets into the flesh, a church split can happen. Whenever man gets his eyes off the Lord and starts looking at the things of the world, they're going to start traveling in different directions. That's why we're called to be one-minded, not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. He goes on, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he tells him even then, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you'd be perfectly, guess what? Karatizo, perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Even the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that rather I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving not against each other, no, but striving together for the faith of the gospel. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God's going to reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have attained, already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying, in essence, if we are mature, we ought to be walking with the same mind. And if we're not walking with the same mind, then we're probably not mature. We're still walking in the flesh. We're still walking and thinking, you know, we got, we got our minds and our focus going the wrong direction. Paul knew and he understood that strength was going to be found whenever two walk in unity. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So when we are walking in unity with the Lord as our focus, as that outer band about what we are doing, beloved, there is great strength in that. He continually encouraged the church to walk in the unity of the Spirit and with their hearts and their minds focused together on the things of Christ and on the things of His kingdom. As we do that, 
we then, as he tells the church in Corinth, then we're able to live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with us. But you think the God of love and peace is going to be with us if we're striving against each other? If we've got issues with each other? Now the word tells us over and over so many places how we're supposed to deal with issues when we've got issues against each other. You got a problem with someone? Go to them personally. Deal with it one-on-one in Christian love. You don't go with an attitude of, hey, you messed up my life because of this you did or this you did. No, you go up, man, brother, I don't know if you understand what you did. But those things that you said or that action that you took, and it hurt me deeply. And I don't want that to be a dividing point. If, if, if we come in humility, if we come with the understanding that this brother or this sister, man, they, they might have had issues that day that caused them to say or do the things. Or maybe there's stuff going on in their life and you, you look at it and say, man, that guy's just got a bad attitude. Well, maybe there's a lot of stuff that's going on in his life, but you've never really cared about him or her enough to get into their life. But you're more than willing to write them off. You see, to be a true believer, sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes, if not all the time, it calls for us to step down and step out of the way and allow the Lord then to work and move in the situation. To live in peace in order that the God of love and peace will be with you. You want the peace of God in your life? You want to know the rest and the ease that He gives? Maybe a whole lot of that is because of the attitude that you have that you need to lay aside. If you come in with a bad attitude, if you're living your life with a bad attitude because this one's wronged you or that one's wronged you, or man, life just isn't giving me all the, all the things that I wish it gave, you're not going to be at peace. That's why Paul says, elsewhere he says, man, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, Therein to be content. That has absolutely nothing to do with living in Kansas in the winter. Okay, That's not the state that he's talking about. He's talking about the, the mental state. I, I want to live in an attitude. It says, I'm content. Whether I have little or whether I have much. God knows where I'm at. Live in peace. The only way that peace will be available is when we know that we have His love abiding within us, and His love comes long before His peace comes. Without His love, you and I will never have enduring peace. Verse 12 is my favorite one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So, if you guys would stand and face each other. No, no, just kidding, just kidding. What do you mean greet each other with a holy kiss? What are you talking about, Paul? We, we look at the Middle East, and that, that's a normal thing. Many places in Europe, it's just a normal thing. I grew up with that kind of tradition. Uh, my, my, family, my family are kissers, okay? So be forewarned. No, uh, somebody should have warned my wife long before because her family wasn't. It's like she came into our family. It's like, whoa, this is like uh, uh, you know, a little bit of overdrive here. In... In the Middle Eastern culture, to go and greet someone with a kiss to the side or to the side, that kind of thing, that's just a normal thing. You know what? But if I don't care about you, 
He's not saying that you and I need to go and do a, a lip lock with everybody that we, we see. He's talking about the fact that we come and we greet them with love. We greet them with compassion. A holy handshake, okay? A holy hug, you know? And, and again, guys, it's just as good for you to give a good side hug to a woman. That works out good. And you know where I'm coming from on that, okay? He says in verse 13, all the saints greet you. That's where he's at in Macedonia as he's writing this letter to them. He, I, I want to be there, but I don't dare come. But I just want you to know, all, all the saints here, man, we've been praying for you guys. We, we send our greetings to you. And then he closes it here with a blessing. I love looking through and seeing Paul's quick prayers within his letters, the blessings, that his sudden words of praise that suddenly he'll just declare in the midst of his writing. It's kind of like, you know, he's dictating this, this letter and all of a sudden, man, it's like the spirit overwhelms and blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, man. Uh, you know, who is, you know, he'll talk about indescribable, you know, immeasurable, who can fathom, you know, the depth of his, and, and on and on he goes. When I see his blessings like this, I think of those things. As he writes to the end of the church there in Corinth, the church that had given him so much heartache, so so much pain, and, and so much agony, and yet his love for them was so great. He writes to them, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, like I shared before, we all need that grace. Amen? We, we need it so desperately because every day we blow it. We blow it in so many ways. And if it was not for the grace of God, the wrath of God, none of us, you know, because of the wrath of God, none of us would be here. But God's grace is so wonderful. He says the love of God, and in fact the love of God is what allows the grace of God to be a part of our life. Not that we loved Him, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God loved us long before we loved Him. And the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What does it mean, the communion, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit? That's why that name of that building back there is koinonia. It means fellowship, it means communion. The communion of the Holy Spirit. In other words, that the Holy Spirit might be so involved in your life. You might be led by the Spirit, strengthened by the Spirit, encouraged by the Spirit, gifted by the Spirit. Yeah, challenged by the Spirit. But when the strength of the Spirit comes within your life, you're able to stand against the attack of the enemy. You're able to stand against the attack of your own flesh and the attack of the world. When the Holy Spirit is leading your life, you can stand in the midst of those attacks that come your way. I love that blessing. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And he says, Amen. Back in the Old Testament, there's a blessing. It's a blessing that's known throughout Christendom as the Aaronic blessing, the blessing of Aaron. It's found in number six, and you probably have, have read it or you've seen it or you've heard it. And in essence, it goes, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and to be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. 
We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have, or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We're thankful that you've listened to today's message, but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet Saturday nights at 6.30, Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can find our address and our directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links at the bottom of the page to our church website. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.